You're tuning in to the Black Hollywood Live Network, featuring news, interviews, and commentary on all things Black Hollywood. Hollywood redefined. From Los Angeles, California, presented by Maria Menunos and streaming live thanks to Akamai Technologies. This is Black Hollywood Live Portraits, featuring intimate, in depth interviews with Black Hollywood stars and influencers. Black Hollywood Live. Hollywood redefined. You're listening to Black Hollywood Live. And now, the host for Black Hollywood Live Portraits, Dario Kristen. Hey everyone, you're watching Black Hollywood Live Portraits. I'm your host, Dario Kristen, and here joining me in the studio today is Courtney Stewart. What's up, everybody? And DJ Jesse J. What's up? And our very special guest today, we are quite excited about, it is Richard Brooks from Being Mary Jane on BET. Woo-woo. How are you doing? Hey, very good, very good. Welcome, Thank you welcome. for coming in. Yeah, thanks for having me on Valentine's Day. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Thank you for the traffic. <laughs> right. Yeah, sharing the love out here. Yeah, your show is doing unbelievable in the ratings. I mean, this is, uh, they say BT's most popular scripted show on that they've ever had. So. Yeah, yeah, we've been number one uh, on cable, actually, as uh, for dramas and stuff, uh, Scripted wow. shows, yeah, it's been crazy. Yeah, it's just phenomenal hit. It's outrageous. Yeah, they say the the way it's tracking right now is like it's the new scandal. <laughs> well, you know, yeah, I mean, you know, we love scandal too, so it's cool. Ain't no real competition. Right, we can have more than one. We can have more than one. Yeah, that's right, exactly. You know what I mean? There's room for everybody. <laughs> now, you grew up in Cleveland? I did, yeah, East Cleveland. Uh, yeah, until I was about 16, then I went to uh, Michigan to go to school, art school. Oh wow! Yeah. Now and now, how did your inspirations for acting start? I know you you took dancing lessons, singing lessons, yeah, and acting all together. Yeah, it was crazy. I mean, once I was uh, I was in Cleveland. I was I guess about eleven and sixth grade, and I saw a little school play. I mean, it was just a story. You know, I was like uh, sitting in the audience, and they were doing Hansel and Gretel, and I I had I, I had this feeling in there where I was going like, how do you get to be Hansel? You know what I mean? While I'm sitting <laughs> in the audience, so. After that, I just set out to figure out how I could get into the drama programs in the schools, even though it was like, you know, not much of a program. But then I started volunteering for drama classes and when I got to junior high school. And uh, and they had a nice little program. Uh, it was a CETA program when I was growing up uh, for the summer programs where we could, um, you know, they would give you like, you'd be most of the kids would be like cleaning streets, picking up trash on the highways, that kind of stuff. Yeah. But they had like this little theater program, which was crazy. We put on a play. We would create a musical. Uh, we had one like scuffed up, decked out Alice. You know, we would take like nursery <laughs> rhymes, and we, were, you know, and uh, and at the end of the the summer, all the kids who were working out in the hot sun and stuff would come and get like, uh, you know, we would do all our performances for them. So mm-hmm. I actually, I was actually getting paid to act as a kid, which was crazy, you know, in a certain kind of way. And then um, then I went to Caramu and. In the Lockin Arts Academy, went to New York, and it, it all took off pretty fast. Now, did you have a preference since you kind of were like a, a triple threat? You could sing, act, and dance. Did you have one that you enjoyed more, and then acting kind of took the the lead, I'll say? But, like, what did you have one that you enjoyed more? Well, I mean, it was crazy. Um, I really, of course, I loved the acting. and um, But what was really weird was, like, like for instance, when I was at Interlochen, I would do a, uh, we would do a talent show or whatever like that, and you would do one of the songs, like I did one from Pearly, victorious and in those three minutes you could just rock the house you know what i mean you could get everybody <laughs> to a standing ovation you could get all this power and energy going on and in a play it might take you two hours or three hours of doing like uh, you know some august wilson's or something like that to try to get a little standing ovation you know so i i definitely love the music like that but um film and tv is really you know it's really where i where i love the most i guess and um 
But it's weird. When I was starting out, I thought that if I came out as a musical actor or doing musicals on Broadway, off Broadway, it would be hard to be taken serious as a as a dramatic actor. Mm. So that led me to come out to uh, L.A. and start working in film and TV. And and now it's hard to be taken serious as a singer. No, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, but it's good. Yeah, it's all good. And they say that theater. You you were talking about all your years in theater. That that's the best training for an actor. For TV, film, for whatever it is in, it, within that industry. Do you feel that that's really a true statement, that, that theater kind of preps you for everything else that, that falls in line for entertainment business? Well, I think, um, you know, some things have changed. I think um, there's a lot of uh, people in, from the music industry and all kind of areas, sports and everything, just starting to act and getting great parts and learning on the job. But, um, yeah, theater, if you want to be a serious actor, I think if you want to be uh, learn your craft and, and be um, and bring something special to the work. Yeah, I think theater helps a lot. You know, that kind of training. Well, we're talking a lot about um, higher education and things at Black Hollywood Lab and how it's not quite as accessible as it's been in the past. It's really expensive to get college degrees and things like that. What do you think about theater as a college major and people that are going through school and spending thousands of dollars and going into debt to do that and want to pursue it later? I know it is hard, actually. Um, uh, my daughters are actually uh, studying. One of my daughters is right is at, is at Boston University right now, as we speak, awesome. studying uh, acting. And um, we had that conversation maybe even last night because there's a question because you can find yourself all of a sudden like two hundred thousand dollars in debt yeah. after four years of school. <laughs> Quickly, you know? yeah. yeah. And then and how many acting jobs are you going to have to work in order to be able to pay that back? Yeah. So it, it's a tough one, um, but it, it does seem like. The business has shifted when I spoke to my agent about it, and they almost want you to have like an MFA. You know, mm-hmm. it's almost like the the entry card to getting in the New York theater scene right now. So, it's it is a big ticket to get in, and there's a lot of competition to get in to be a great actor or to be a working actor. And um, I guess it just depends on on your confidence and uh, your your breaks. But the agents now, because of the investment, the time they have to put into you, they do want you to have invested in yourself and and to and to and your talent and your craft, yeah. so that you have a better chance to work and earn. And so that does impress uh, the talent buyers out there. It does when you come in as a credit. You know, if you're a new actor coming out, I think saying you have a a BA or MA in fine arts or something like that, and you're really trained and really serious, it shows that you are serious and that you've taken the steps to become the best that you can be before you enter the workplace. So. I guess it, it does help. I studied at Circle in the Square. Um, I guess I was lucky because my school, Interlock and Arts Academy, was a uh, an arts uh, prep school. So I graduated there. It was two years there, which was kind of like a college. And then when I went to Circle in the Square, which was kind of like a conservatory grad school in a way, I was able to get in there when I was 18. So wow. by 20, I was really highly trained. Um but it still was tough, you know. It still was tough without without having like Yale or or Juilliard kind of background, something like that, which would really just impress everybody right off the bat, you know. What's something that you kind of uh, that theater taught you about yourself from that training? Well, that is part of what the f- beginning of training is, you know, to strip away your your unconscious habits, the things that um, your mannerisms, things you don't really recognize about yourself, or your inhibitions. Um, I think especially with a career like acting and music and things like that where there's not stability, so you may not have the parental support yeah. or uh, the access to it. You have a lot of haters or naysayers in your head, actually. <laughs> and so part of the training is actually to 
to deal with that, to realize what is really blocking you from expressing yourself fully, maybe, which might be that uncle who laughed at you when you sang, or you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. or, or, what you was know. yours at the time? Yeah. Uh, I was, uh, I, I mean, you know, it's so crazy because I was just like tunnel vision, you know? And I was from Cleveland, and I was just, I really, you know, to me it was like I was starting at the bottom, you know, I was in the hood and everything, and it was my way to get out of the hood and get out of the gangs and the drug game and all that, and uh, everybody was kind of receptive to my work, even as a young as a young actor, which I didn't understand, but I was appreciative of it. And I just, um, I, I actually, and now when I look back at it, I mean, I remember my uncle saying, like, okay, so how you going to make it? You know, how you going to break it? <laughs> what you going to do? And I'm about 15, and I was like, well, uncle, I mean, it's, I know it's really hard and it's almost impossible, so I'm going to have to be amazing and electrify the world. You know what I mean? It was just like, I'm going to have to just be, like, crazy. I'm going to be a teen idol. I'm going to be, you know. Yeah. So I, I really, I set a high bar even for myself, and I just, you know, I, you know, I don't know if I ever became a teen idol, but I did star in some <laughs> movies as a teen, you know, guy. And uh, uh, it, it just, I just didn't hear it, you know. Now my mom will remind me, and, and, and I think she caught most of it, actually. I think my mom caught most of the flag. Everybody, you know, they would just tell me, like, oh, yeah, that's good, Rick. Yeah, you go on to do that. You know what I mean? And they tell my mother, why are you letting that boy study <laughs> acting, girl? Let him be a doctor. Let him get to school, you know? <laughs> so she caught most of it, so she was my buffer, actually. But um, I just, yeah, for me, I think it's just positive, you know, trying to stay positive. And I think that's something that you got to do all your life and all your yeah. career. And... Actually, some of the harder moments are after you've had success of on a high level, maybe like a Law and Order or something like that, and then you have a dip in your career or you're looking for the next job, and people are telling you like, "Well, is that the last? Is that you know? Have you you know? Are you has been or you know what I mean?" So, Not to allow that defeat come into you. right, exactly, and so you just really have to uh, stay an eternal student and keep putting keep like on. positive energy into you. You know what I mean? I listen to tapes. I listen to a lot of stuff just to keep myself like on a you know clear. You know. Yeah. What do they say? You're only as good as your last job. That's what a lot of people <laughs> yeah, like to quote. Yeah, yeah, they like to say that. You know, and and it's hard with acting because I, you know as I tell tell my daughters and stuff too is that. Like every step is another line to cross. So from getting the agent to getting the audition to getting the movie to getting to doing the movie, then to the movie getting released and then to the movie being received yeah. and being a hit. You it's know a what process. I mean? Yeah. And if any of those fail, you're back to square one. All of a sudden, you're like, okay, I'm starting all these movies. Nobody's seen. They were great movies, great performances, and people don't know. You know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So then you're back to just saying, you know, and you can't brag about it. You can't get ahead of it. And then sometimes movies will take a year to come out or something like that. So you got to be cool and you know. So it's a lot. It's a lot. You know. And at what point while you were doing theater did you get an agent? Uh, I know you said you made the transition from, you kind of covered a lot of territory. You went from Ohio to right, Michigan yeah, to, New York, to New York and then yeah. L.A. And I know that the acting scene is so different from the West Coast to the East Coast. Yeah. When did you kind of make that transition of going and getting an agent in that, in that process? Well, my, my, my plan at the time was, uh, as I had read a lot of books, all these books on breaking into Hollywood, breaking into acting, you know, surviving, all these kind of books I was really researching. And and uh, there weren't a lot of black actors who were working at that time because yeah. this was like, you know, 80s, 90s and stuff. So um, what I did do was I tried to pick a school that had a faculty that were professional actors or professional people in the industry. Mm -hmm. And so I felt that at least by working with them and by them seeing my work in class, 
that maybe they would be an entree into the business. And so, I, and that actually kind of worked out at the end. Uh, I had graduated from uh, Circle in the Square, and one of my acting teachers, who was a well-known actress in New York, uh, I caught her coming out of the equity building one day, and I was just like, she's like, oh, I'm like, hey, hey, Jackie, what you doing? You know, she's like, oh, I'm going, I just left my agent's office. And I was like, you got an agent? <laughs> you <know? laughs> Can you help me? Can you refer, you know, refer me to your agent or something like that? And uh, I had to stay on her for a couple months, and then she called her agents, and then the agents took me a couple months before they would see me and do my monologues. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then I managed to get the agents like that in New York, and it was funny because uh, years later she would tell me, um, you know, because uh, I was thanking her so much. I was like, wow, Jackie, you know, if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't have got this agent. I wouldn't have got these parts. I wouldn't have got this career that I have, you know. And she was like, tell you the truth, uh, you know, I, I I used to send all, you know, like I must have sent like 30 or 40 students to my agents, actually, you know, over the years. You're the first one that they signed. Wow. You know what I mean? Actually. And... Uh, and it was weird for her because the agents would actually call her up and thank her for referring me, you know? Oh, wow, that's big. That's yeah, amazing. which was really kind of cool, you know? So it, it still is, it still is, it's interesting how you see it and you think like, wow, she did this big thing for me. And it was big, of course, but for her it was like, yeah, I just referred you, you know what I mean? You know, you can't have to thank me for it, you know? But but that kind of worked. And I, I actually used to tell actors that, that you should try to start in New York because it's a little easier to get an agent and hopefully try to find an agent that's bi-coastal. Mm. And then moved to L.A. like that, you yeah. know. So that's kind of how I did it. And then you had uh, done several plays that you mentioned while you were in New York. And I know that August Wilson's uh, Fences you were a part of, correct? Was was that yeah. one of your major ones? Fences was, was, uh, yeah, Fences was one of the um, plays that I uh, I did. Uh, it was I, I did it as a reading at the Eugene O'Neill okay. conference, actually, right, as, as one of the first... Um, first readings of it actually and I got to work with uh, uh, Mary Alice who ended up mm-hmm. playing it on Broadway and they kind of wanted me to go and do it um, on Broadway but I would have had to go back to school and go to Yale University oh, or wow. something like that so you know so yeah but it was great August August is one of my mentors and uh, um, you know it's, 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 a, it's a great loss to the theater community that For he's sure. gone yeah. what is it about his storytelling that you enjoyed acting in or, or just reading as a whole uh well August uh he he's his uh his words are like music yeah. and um so if you can find the rhythm if you can find the energy of his of his his words they will carry you you know it will carry you like a melody or something like that and so that was what was really great about him his ears sometimes you'd be in rehearsals with him and he would just close his eyes and he would just listen to yeah. the voices like a music like a like a jazz musician you know when you move from, uh, I'm gonna take this off, guys. You know, mine's no, a little get comfortable. <laughs> when you move from uh, New York to LA, what would you say was kind of like the biggest uh, difference for you that you noticed, like auditioning wise, uh, or just even just getting the jobs from New York? Did you to notice? LA? It? Yeah. Um. Well, I, you know, LA is a. Uh, um, like you said, New York was a lot easier to get agents, and so was it easier for auditioning wise, or was LA kind of just a bigger pond? And well, LA, LA is 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 very receptive to new talent. I think you know. Yeah. So uh, coming out here, it, it was it was just it was like a breath of fresh air. New York is 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 kind of tough in a certain kind of way to get into the theater community. It's yeah. just kind of it's, it's close knit, and um, 
you you kind of have to earn your way through there. Mm-hmm. But L.A., you know, they might need a young actor and they need a part, and the, you know, the show is casting and they need you for the next next week or something like that. You know, so uh, that really worked really well for me when I came out here. All of a sudden, I was uh, right on Hill Street Blues and, and doing movies of the week, and they needed young actors. They needed you to play college kids or something like that. So it was just good. Yeah, L.A. And, was really cool. And Hill Street was one of your major first TV appearances, correct? Yeah. And what, how did you land a role? And then what was it like being on that type of set for your, fir- you know, your first big role? Um, that was a crazy story. Um, my I had a friend from school who had landed a, a, a regular part on the show called Bay City Blues, which was a spinoff of Hill Street Blues, mm-hmm. actually. And we had gone to school together, and he invited me to come out to L.A. to hang with him on the set for a couple weeks. And while I was on the set with him, I met the directors and the producers of his show, and Hill Street Blues was like the was you know was the the main show. Of course, it was the big hit show. So I was hanging around the set and I was talking with them. And uh, when the part finally came up, the role that I got, um, I had like I don't know. I must have had like ten minutes to get to uh, to the casting office at the time. My agent called me at like ten minutes to ten. Said, "Can you get in for this part? You know, can you get in for this audition?" And I said, yeah, sure, you know, so I just jumped in, you know, jumped in the car, ran to the audition, and um, had to go through, you know, the uh, casting person first before I could get to the producers. So I went to her in the morning, she liked what I did, and then she was like, okay, can you come back for the producers in the afternoon? I went in for them, and as I walked into the room, I realized it was the one director who I'd been hanging out with on the set of Bay City Blue. (laughs) You know what I mean? So that was cool, and then... uh, when I, he loved my work, and uh, he said, "Okay, can you wait outside after I did my scene?" And then he said, uh, "He came back out and he said, um, you work for cheap, right?' You know." <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that's how that started. And so he's like, "Okay, we're gonna give you everything. We're gonna make you sag. We're gonna make you, you know, oh, wow. we're gonna make you know." The actor's party. dream, that yeah, famous word, exactly. sag. Yeah, yeah, sag. Yeah, at the time. Yeah. <laughs> well, so it was so- big. What was it like to be so in theater? You know, your family and people aren't as they don't get to see it as easily and often as being in television. What was that like once you started to appear on television and like family and friends and everybody are actually seeing you do this on a regular basis? Well, that, that uncle, chirping in your mom's ear. I mean, this story, I don't know, this story is so hard to tell. It was so crazy because. Actually, I mean, I don't even know why I can confess this to you guys, but <laughs> it was so crazy because I was out in L.A. I, I was out here for two weeks with my friend, right? So that's part of that other story I was just telling you. And something said, well, why don't you try two more weeks out here, right? And I'd only intended to stay for two weeks, and I was you know, I was crashing on people's houses and floors. So, and my, uh, my mom had moved out here from Cleveland like the year before with uh, my stepfather. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, he was working, you know, he was working just, you know, basic jobs, you know, garbage man, and you know, handyman, different things, you know. So um, at some point, I guess it was about, maybe I've been out here three weeks, and he told me, um, okay, you know what, you're going to have to get a job, right? I know you're doing this acting stuff or whatever, but you're going to have to get you a mop and bucket, which is what <laughs> we call it, you know what I mean? And make some money, take care of yourself or whatever. You can't just be, like, out here, you know, just doing this thing or whatever. And I said, so it really hit me hard. And I said, okay, i tell you what. If I don't have a job by the end of this week, I'll get a mop and bucket, right? And this is kind of, and it was a big dare for me. But, I, you know, I said, okay. And it was hard for me. And it was that Friday, like, the last day of that week 
that I got the audition oh, wow. for the Hill Street Blues. Wow. And then I landed this big part, right? So he kind of didn't believe it after <laughs> I got the part. He was just like, no, nah, you don't have the part or whatever. And then it aired really quick because TV is like that, you yeah. know. So maybe like two months later, it was on the air. And he, I mean, he literally lost his mind. <laughs> <laughs> he literally could not watch the show. I came on. He saw me for a few minutes. He was out, chain smoking, going crazy. Wow. You know, just like it totally <laughs> wrecked him. You know what I mean? It was so crazy. And all my friends at school who, who were watching it, they were still like maybe the year behind me or whatever. They were like all at the bar watching it, cheering, going like, oh, wow, I see the technique. I see you picking up the glass of water. And it's all the sense of memory and all the stuff. You know, they knew what I was doing as right. far as. But, but it was great. And it, it just launched me really quickly. But, it, it yeah, for all the naysayers, it was really hard and that's something I think actors really have to know or people who you know when you do make it people actually are more comfortable with you not making it yeah. actually you know and, and they you said say, they're more comfortable with yeah you they're actually more com- comfortable with you failing because it shows that they couldn't have done they it, couldn't you know have done I mean? it yeah mm-hmm. and it confirms that why you know why they let their dreams slide or whatever so did you have that moment mm-hmm. though of like when you saw yourself and all the naysayers were you like mm, yep I, I did it you know that's me I'm on my way. Yeah, I did. I mean, in a certain kind of way, but I I never really feel like that. I always feel like I have something to prove and I have to um, keep working. And I was like, and everybody else wanted to tell me that. Maybe my mom was like, okay, now you made, now you in. And I'm like, yeah, mom, that's one job. Now I got to get another one. I got to get another one. There's always the next job. I got to make a, you know, a string of roles before I'll be taken serious as an actor. And, and even now with something like being Mary Jane, it's a, it's a reinventing of myself in a certain kind of way, you know, and people are still, like, surprised. They're still like, wow, you could do that, and oh, you yeah. do that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think it's one of those things that you always have to do. You know, yeah. you always have to just keep keep, keep coming at keep it. Going. You know? Yeah, keep going, yeah. And you mentioned string of roles. I mean, you had a tremendous amount of roles. <laughs> After that, you had Teen Wolf movie. You had Resting, Resting Place, Place, ER, ER NCIS, <laughs> yeah. Firefly. I mean, you, you've been working. You kept it going. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The momentum was on fire. Yeah. What was your, what was one of your favorite Order. sets to be on like during that time period, those earlier sets before Law & Order? Uh, Well, To Sleep With Anger was really... Uh, uh, a great set. I made a lot of friends on that one. Uh, Danny Danny Glover was a, was the star of that one with us, and um, it's a little known film, but it was it's a little. I'd say it has some semblances of being Mary Jane in a certain kind of way, as far as that family dynamic, and uh, that was just a beautiful a beautiful uh, set to be on. Um, I mean, wow. All. Uh, See, all the movies are... I mean, I'm always so happy to be working. You know, um, Badge of the Assassin was a crazy Badge movie. Yeah, Badge of the Assassin with uh, with uh, Yafi Koto and uh, James Woods on that with me. And uh, Pam Greer. I met Pam Greer on that, which Pam was, was amazing hero. I mean, she was like... I was I was like, oh, my God, that's Pam Greer. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'd grown up watching her in the movies, and she was still beautiful and sexy. So, you know... Uh, it was that was a great set because then I got to meet a few girls. You know, <laughs> that was kind of good. The you perks know, of an actor. On. Yeah, <laughs> sometimes that was my motivation too because you know you, you, you'd be out here like isolated in L.A., which is very easy to do. Yeah. You just find yourself in your apartment going like, okay, nobody's calling me. What's going on? Another sunny day, the sun is shining, you know, and nothing's going on. And part of my motivation sometimes became, okay, I got to meet people. I got to get out, so I better book a job. And so I can get on a set, and I can make some friends, and I can hang out, you know. Because working out here is really how you meet people. Mm-hmm. That's true. Working, you know. 
And then you've been on so many sets, and you you mentioned Danny Danny Glover, and, yeah. and you worked with Morgan Freeman as well. Morgan, yeah, Morgan, who, yeah. Who has been somebody who just you left that scene or that set, and you were like, "This is the best actor ever." This person blew you away. Oh, probably so many to choose from. So, you know, huh? so many people. Um. Well, I mean, I, Mary Alice. I don't know if, if everyone's familiar yeah. with her work. But Mary Alice, she her work always just slays me completely. I mean, she was uh, she played my mom in uh, To Sleep with Anger, and and she she had guest starred on Law and Order when I was there and stuff. And I just think that she's one of the great treasures. That maybe I'm not sure if everyone's really familiar with her, but she's one of the greatest actresses ever. I'd seen. you know I'd seen I saw her in a, uh, in uh, NEC's production of uh, Zoo Man and the Sign. Uh, with uh, Giancarlo Esposito, he was oh, yeah. playing oh, Superman. It was one of his early, and at that time I was still in school, uh, and I was usher. I was an usher. I actually got a job of work study as an usher at uh, NW, um, the Negro Ensemble Company in New York. Uh, I got to see that play. I got to see uh, a soldier story with Denzel uh, in one of his early roles before he had really became Denzel. You mm-hmm. know, and um, but yeah, Mary Alice, I probably would say is she. She just brings it so purely. You know. And she, you know, of course, she did Fences on Broadway. She did Fences, yeah. yeah. right, mm-hmm. and Tony Award when I mean, she's a great actress, yeah. And then you, you moved on to 1996. You got the role in Law & Order, which was the, the big baby, the big monster. <laughs> yeah, that one was crazy. That was really great. Um, that was, that's funny. It's a funny funny thing with Law & Order now, especially now that I have, like, being Mary Jane. It's really funny because people were, like, surprised to see me as, yeah. as Patrick in a certain kind <laughs> yeah. of way. That was right. me. <laughs> and it's so funny to me because actually Robinette was the stretch. And, and when I went to the audition, I was actually in one of my first suits that I ever had. Because actually before then, I was just playing street kids and thugs, drug dealers, you know, and then the shakedown and all kind of movies like that. I was always edgy and bad. And uh, this, this role actually I had to put on the suit. And, and when I went to the audition, I had... I'd gone in for another movie, um, The Mighty Quinn, I guess it became. And uh, so I had these extensions I put in. I was doing my Millie, my Millie Vanilli. Millie you know, Vanilli. Man, I had my look, <laughs> my braids, you know, like, you know what I mean? You know, blame it on the rain. You Girl, know, you know it's true. Girl, you know it's true. Yeah, right. You know what I mean? And I put that back in a ponytail, <laughs> and I went in the suit, and all of a sudden I'm walking in with all these heavy hitters at Universal to go in for, like, the straight Arrow Robinette kind of character. And... Uh, they still like my performance. They, uh, their only question was like, will you cut your hair? You know? Yeah. But that was actually, I had to do a lot of work as far as to um, get the legalese together, get the uh, articulation together to get that kind of um, persona and, and that kind of steadiness of him that I wanted to bring to Robinette. Mm-hmm. But that actually was less me than, you know, than Patrick is. So that's kind of what <laughs> the irony of it all is. When you're an actor, you get typecast and people think that's what you do, you know? Yeah, that was actually going to be one of my questions because yeah. your character, Robinette, had a lot of racial equality that he stood for on the show. Yeah. And I was wondering, was that was that something that was important to you and you had them write that in or was that already a part of his character on the show before you landed the role? Well, uh, I, you know, the show was one of the great things about the show um, was in the concept because I was there from the pilot uh, all the way through. And so... Uh, one of the concepts was to take current affairs issues that were right out the headlines and put a spin on them. So maybe if it was a, you know, if a white, white man killed a a black youth, you know, what would happen if 
uh, a, a white woman killed a, a black youth? Or, you know, how would that change, you know, if, if the sex changed or if the race changed or some part of the dynamic of the same issue changed, you know? So uh, the the social issues that we were dealing with at the time were issues that I actually had to educate myself on because I was just coming straight up as a, as a young actor just living in the day. You know, I, I, current affairs was something I wasn't really as well versed in, so I had to really work at that. And yeah. um, But I did at the time, uh, you know, at the time I felt that um, there weren't a lot of, of, of African-American actors playing serious heavy authority figures yeah with that kind of title yeah with that kind of title right and so um i wanted to to bring that you know this is all like of course pre-obama and all that kind of stuff and i really wanted to put that image out if it was possible and i was glad and 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 blessed you know that, that dick wolf had that vision and everybody shared that vision but a lot of it was a joint uh vision you know i i made a i made a an active choice to limit my smiling and to make him actually feel the issues, because here you, I felt here you had a guy who was from Harlem, who who had decided instead of going uh, the Johnny Cochran way or whatever, yeah. to actually join the system to become a, a a prosecutor, and realize that he could affect change more behind you know the closed doors where the decisions are really being made as opposed to being outside, and that was my take on him as, as Robinette. So um, I felt he had to be extra smart. He had to be that voice uh, for the you know, the the guilty before proven innocent, you yeah. know, black <laughs> youth or pers- persona or, you know, person like that. And I've actually seen that, which is weird. I even, I mean, it was weird. I did like a jury duty uh, out here once a few years ago. And I was really surprised that I was like the only black guy in the jury who had gotten picked. Uh, a lot of white women and things like that. And they actually uh, was a black guy who had, uh, he was being tried for giving a ride to this other like uh, uh, Hispanic guy, who had sna- who had gotten out of his car and snatched the chain off of this other Hispanic guy, oh, man. who was like you know he saw this guy like his car had stopped or something like this mm-hmm. downtown and he had, he had jumped out the car and and you know got into some kind of altercation with the guy and snatched his chain right and pushed him down and then then jumped back in the car with with the, with the black guy and they drove away right so uh, the guy followed them and got the license plates or whatever so. Fast forward to the black guy who was driving was now being, like, tried as an accomplice to, like, you know, robbery and all this kind of stuff. And his argument was, I just gave this guy a ride. I didn't really know him that well. You know, I was trying to tell him. I didn't know he was going to jump out and, and, you know, and and smash on this guy. You know what I mean? (laughs) And, uh, but the the jury was like, he did it. He knew it. That was his boy. He's gone. Put him away. (laughs) I mean, it was was so automatic that he was so guilty. Oh, man. Before, I mean, he was just, and they and they actually were saying that they would say like, well, if, if he wasn't guilty, he wouldn't be here, you yeah. know. And then the mm-hmm. guy who was the guy who was, I guess, the defendant, you know, uh, when they brought him in to testify, he was in the orange jersey and the chains and stuff because he had been arrested after the fact for some other thing, you know what <laughs> oh I mean? Oh my god! So, and the prosecutor was just trying to like get this guy, and and I just said, wow, you know, this is kind of why I I really wanted, you know, I'm glad I had the chance to play Robin yeah. that kind of character, you know, because. Uh, I don't even know if people had that kind of regard for mm-hmm. for yeah. for a black man at that time that he could have that kind of integrity or something like that, you know. So I really love your yeah, Robinette for that, and um, hopefully that that has been his, you know, 
his legacy. legacy. Yeah, the legacy. So yeah, it kind of made you look yeah. at the criminal system differently by playing that, you know, that role and all the yeah. knowledge that you obtained while playing that role. It really did. Yeah, it really did. And I, uh, and, and it has helped me a lot, a great deal. I learned a lot about law and maybe I would have been a lawyer at some point. People say, oh, you should be a lawyer. But, you know, now I look at all my own contracts. I can, I can, uh, I'm I'm pretty good at all that stuff now, actually. Yeah. As an actor with that role and it kind of elevating your mindset, did you feel from that point? You know, you said you were kind of always playing the typical street role. Did you feel from this point on, like, okay, I want to take an active responsibility as far as selecting certain roles versus playing stereotypical ones? Was there any of that kind of? Well, I mean, uh, no. I mean, uh, what I try to do. Um, is is to bring humanity or something to all my characters and to try to bring some kind of understanding. So even if I'm playing a drug dealer, to me he has a history and 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 he's driven to this mm-hmm. by the circumstances that he sees himself in and that this is his best option to get out of it or this he doesn't have any choice, you know. So and I try to let hopefully people will understand him a little bit more. Uh, even with somebody like a Patrick, I know everybody's like, oh man, Patrick is a slacker, Patrick is this, but you know, to me it's like, well, Patrick is, he's down on, on his on his luck. Right now he's trying to come back up, he's trying, you know, mm-hmm. he's trying to do what he can do, you know, maybe he fails or whatever, but he's going to keep on trying, he's going to keep on trying to be a good man and live his dream and uh, overcome his own, you know, addictions or whatever, you know, and uh, and that is a drama, and I think that there's a lot of men who are dealing with those kind of things. I mean, most of the kids, I mean, I grew up in the hood, so most of the kids who are slinging, they're not growing up saying, oh, yeah, I want to be a drug dealer. You know what I mean? They're basically like, my mom, uh, the bills have got to be paid. You know, she ain't getting enough work. Uh, the debt is piling up on us. I got to go out and do something. I got to put food on the table for my, my little brothers and sisters, yeah. you know. And this is my option, you know. Uh, they living in a world of, of limited uh, possibilities and visions where they don't even know how to get out. Some kids up, up, you know, in the South Central or whatever, they might not even know how to get downtown or they've never even been to the beach. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because this is just their world. And so in that world, this is the opportunity they see. They can't go over to the Korean store and get a job. You know what I mean? Yeah. So uh, in, in all my characters, I try to find, find that level of humanity in them if I can, you know, and, and, and bring that to the forefront. And in selecting your characters, even while you were working on Law & Order, was there any storylines? I mean, because... Sometimes Law and Order can get pretty dark. Were there, yeah. story, were there any storylines where you were like, you know what, we need to readjust the script a little bit, or or you just didn't want to do the scene? Well, um, you know, I you try that, and then you also try to uh, play your position, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, there were instances when I was younger, and I might have felt like, oh, uh, especially maybe after the uh, uprising out here in '92 or so, there was a storyline that I thought sort of put a slant on it that I didn't know if I agreed with. You know, at the time I was thinking the Rodney King thing was he was a victim or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and I felt, oh, this storyline, they put a spin on it that I said, oh, that turns it into, you know, something else. But as I reflected on it, I realized, well, you know, what can I do? You know, yeah. I mean, on that level, it's just these are the stories that we tell. This is the world we live in. I'm an actor. I'm not the writer. I'm not the producer. You know, all I can do is try to make my own projects. I can try to be, you know, get get more power and, and tell my own stories. But I have to play the role. You know, I have to do what I have to do. So I, I actually tried to try to learn from that. And um, it is it was a topical series. And that sometimes that was hard. And it would put a strain on me in a way yeah. because I would feel the weight. I would be so invested in the mm-hmm. stories that I could actually feel, you know, um, 
the cases of, of you know, there was a case of the, of the girl being raped and written, you know, and drawn on, and, uh, you know, uh, Tawala, what was her name? You know, to, you know what I'm saying? You know, Tawana, Tawala, or something. I, I know exactly. You know, what I'm talking about that story. Yeah, yeah, right. You know yeah. what I mean? I can't think of I mean, I can't I, remember yeah, name, yeah. And so um, a lot of those cases I, would just upset me, you know. But I felt like Robert would be upset too, you yeah. know. So I felt mm-hmm. like, let me just bring that to it and let me just use that instead of trying to deny it or something like that, you know. How did you shake that off to maintain yeah. your separation? Because that's, I mean, our drama, you guys are working hours, yeah. long weeks. Yeah. Like, yeah. you have family, girlfriends, wives at home. Like, how did you separate from that but still be as invested as you are in the character because you have to be? It, it I don't, you know, I think that um, it, it's acting, like, on that level. Uh, and all of us in that cast, uh, we all had made... Um, uh, a certain kind of commitment to launch that show, uh, from Chris Nov to Michael Moriarty, you know, George Zanza and myself. And I think it did affect us. You know, it actually did affect us. Um, and it, what's ironic about that is actually, as you, if you know the history of prosecutors uh, and cops and, and stuff like that, they are affected by the work. And uh, there is a burnout factor for... Um, district attorneys maybe they only last three to four or five years actually in the job there's some who are who last you know uh, they get promoted or whatever but in general the job does weigh on them and they do have to get out and go into private practice or go into something else uh i think the same way as soldiers you know our soldiers out there fighting you know i think uh, when they come back they are affected by what they've seen and it does scar them and if you are portraying that as intensely and realistically as we were trying to it did affect us, and you know, uh, even my, you know, my co-star Moriarty. I think um, part of what happened to him was he. It, it did get, you know, get to him at a certain point, you know, and uh, and 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 when he left the show, you know, it had changed him a little bit. Yeah. You know, it was it had been a strain, and it, you know, and there had been some sort of break that happens. You know, it's yeah. it's hard. It's hard. The work that we do is really hard, and uh, I guess that's why you do need the training, actually. You know, because the training, hopefully. It, it, you have muscles, so you can freaking can bounce back and you can shake it off. But you know, I take vacations, and uh, yeah, you got your love stories, and you know, and, and families going on, and um, you know, and music, tra- yeah, and music, <laughs> yeah, yeah, music was definitely, yeah, music came back to me about that time. I just, <laughs> music, I found myself singing, uh, like singing in the trailers, and and just uh, buying a lot of songs and CDs, and, and just. Yeah, blasting and putting myself into like, yeah, that's <laughs> true. Ways. Yeah, I definitely had to get my swing on, yeah. You talked about power, and in 1998, you made your directing debut, mm. Johnny B. Good. Right. What was that like for you, kind of moving from in front of the camera to now being in front of the camera and also being behind the camera? What was that like? That, I mean, I love that. And I actually love it, and I, I admire, like, Clint Eastwood and, and uh, actors like that because, um, for me... I I if I actually would like I actually prefer directing and acting at the same time, which might be strange. People would think that's a vanity project or whatever. But actually, <laughs> I'm so used to the camera moving around me and the feeling of it from being in the center of it that I can actually direct pretty well uh, like that, and and I and and the moves and things like that. So the power of that yeah that was one that I you know I financed a great deal of that one myself and uh, I edited it myself and I learned everything I'd gone to film school uh, in between acting jobs um, when I was starting out here in LA you know 
the LACC and their film department, things like that. And so um, I just, it was really good. Now, what was hard with it was realizing, again, like I say, all those lines that you always got to take <laughs> over of, of distributing, you know. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden now you've made it and now you have to get it out and now it has to be received and then you got to get paid, you know. And that was that was where I realized I said, okay, well now uh, I got to start a distribution company or something, you know what I mean? <laughs> or I might have to st- get my own theater or something, you know what I mean? Because it's it's um, there's always another hurdle, and you realize, oh, you know, when I was putting out my own CDs and I had a record label too around that same time with the production company, that was a thing where you saw that the industry was changing mm-hmm. and record stores started closing, Tower Records was losing, you know, yeah, independent, Tower yeah, was going down. right, you know, Tower Records, it's Tower like Records, an ancient you know? word. yeah, right, can you believe that, and so, you get caught in the times and the technology was changing, I was shooting on the 16 millimeter and the digital was starting to come out and they had high aid and all of a sudden it was going, you know, to, uh, to digital on me, so, all that, the technology and, and making your own projects, it all kind of goes together and how you're going to distribute them. And this is all pre, uh, of course, pre-Facebook. I mean, yeah. you know, we think back, Facebook is, what, nine years old or ten years? Ten years, ten years, ten years old, yeah. you know. So, um, and it and it started small. And, of course, it didn't even take off for maybe the first couple of years, I would think, the same the way it is now, you know. So, yeah, the, the it did feel it did feel good. It felt good to be casting actors and, and telling a good story and uh, giving opportunities to screenwriters and things like that, you know. And I want to do more of that, definitely. As an actor, do you feel like it? Uh, you learned more about the character being so invested behind the scenes, or do you feel like I mean they're just two totally separate jobs, and you got to be focused and kind of that sense of it? Um, I just had to prepare a lot. I had to really prepare the act as an actor first, so that I wouldn't have to um, think about the acting. I could just focus on the directing when it was time to direct. Mm. So, but since I guess I had uh, one, one thing that was good was actually I had to break down the script, and I had to learn to do the boards. And at that time, we were doing script boards and all that kind of <laughs> stuff, you know, everything by hand. So I really knew the story, and I really understood the character and everyone else's character, and and that did influence me. I think as an actor, actually, now now I'm a lot more um, aware of my function in the stories and and the, and. And how I'm helping to tell the overall story and, and take the audience on the journey, sort of like that, you know, whether I'm directing or not directing, you know. Well, you're definitely taking the audience on the journey with being Mary Jane yeah. as your character, Patrick Patterson, which is getting a lot of buzz. Yeah, man. Oh, Lots man. of buzz. I love it so much. When I you first it. read about when you first read the script and saw the mm. character, what did you think about Patrick? I instantly understood Patrick. It was really one of those weird things. I didn't have to do a lot of work on the character. I didn't have to do... The uh, w- only thing I was worried about was if they would get my my interpretation and if it was the same interpretation that they had, if it was aligned with them, you know. And uh, I was really fortunate that uh, Mara and Salim, uh, our creative producers, uh, executive producers, seemed to embrace it, understand it, love it, you know. And, and it wasn't just Patrick. It was also... The fact that it was amazing to have have them saying like, "Okay, we're going to create like a great quality drama here, though. You know, we're not just going to put on uh, a series or a television. We actually want to um, create the kind of drama that can stand up with any other dramas on television and tell stories that are our stories, but have a universality to it that can transcend uh, our our culture." 
and that all cultures would be able to look at us and, and see themselves in us. And, and, um, and, you know, we want, I mean, not to be bragging or anything, but, you know, we, we want to be putting in the kind of work that, that is award-worthy and mm-hmm. uh, uh, is recognized as such. And, 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 um, and BET is, is right there with us and, and, and ready for that journey. And, and they've already been doing great dramas now, you know, great yeah. uh, shows now and it's, it's in the last few years with the game and, you know, Let's Stay Together Let's and stay all together. the other shows. You know yeah. what I mean? I mean, they've been, they've been going there, you know, and uh, this is just the next – where they're at now, and I'm sure they're going to go even more. And it's it's just great to be a part of of this kind of transformation because for so many years they've gotten such a bad rep. I yeah. think, mm-hmm. and and I have people try to tell me like, oh, you on BT? Well, you know, oh, I don't watch you know shows. I'm like, you got to get with it. I mean, exactly, you know, we yeah. got hit shows on Netflix now. You know, yeah, yeah, like sure. high quality award winning, you know, yes. dramas, and uh, so it, the work can be done anywhere. You know, you just have to put in the work and how to how the how the uh, put the team together, how the cast together, how the resources. You know. And your character is different. We were talking about that you've played a lot of, you know, more authoritarian characters. Yeah. Um, but this one is, he's kind of considered the this, this less motivated, recovering drug addict right. type well, of thing. Well, you looking at me like that. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sad when you relapse two weeks ago. I was like, oh, oh but I felt the pain because you was trying to win yeah. your friend to try to start your business back yeah, up. And everybody yeah. just smacked it down. And it was a great uh, brother-sister moment moment you had with <laughs> and, oh, man, and y'all yeah. both relapsed and I was like Lord see so your audience is right here your yeah, audience is in the studio too yeah, but how did you prepare hard. differently for this role versus your more you know ro- lawyer roles or, or detective roles or you know that type of thing well this I mean this this role is so fun and so good and so relatable and it, it's great because we're not all my other roles, uh, well, a lot of those roles like Law and Order are all kind of procedural. So yeah. there's a story and it's all about the case and solving the crime. Here, it's really about the subtleties of, of life and, and, and the struggles that we go, go through uh, uh, on a day-to-day basis. And I just, I relish it, man. I just love, love being able to, um, to get in touch with that. And and my only, I guess my only real preparation or my only consistent um, uh, outlook on it is is to stay in the time. You know, I yeah. feel like now we're in a uh, post-Obama world. You know, I feel like we're in a world where there aren't the limitations. Uh, the glass ceiling has been broken. We can't just say, oh, we can't do this because we're black. We can't do yeah. this because, you know what I mean? We can do it. We can do it. It can be achieved. Yeah, we can achieve it. Yeah. And also, you're dealing with a world where everybody is watching, uh, you know, uh, reality television. And, and and that's becoming real. So I feel like the the acting style has to be even more real. It has to be more raw. It has to be really, you, you can't be acting. You know, you yeah. really have to. People are expecting to see life, real, real life now. And they, they are seeing that. And so... I think that's part of what everyone's related to with the with the show so so well is that all the actors, the whole cast, from Gabrielle to everybody, is just sort of bringing it so hard, so raw, so so happy to have this opportunity to be in such a great show, you know. Yeah, Robin Lee was on our show a month ago, and she mentioned oh, man, how yeah. Mara is just unbelievable with her writing, obviously, and letting the actor oh kind of create yeah. create and kind of experiment while you're on set. Is that been your experience as well? Totally, totally. I mean, not to not to to uh to try to indicate at all that we are creating i mean it is all mara i mean those yeah. are her words and yeah. uh our job is definitely to use and, and embellish her words and, and to bring them to life 
and her words are just that true you know they are just that to that level and then and then it's amazing because then her husband Salim is this incredible director yes yeah and I mean he directs all the shows so far and so we have this consistent vision between the two of them that she's writing it and he's direct I mean and so (laughs) it's just so tight you know yeah and they're just the best people in they the world. Are, yeah. I mean, they are the best, the most loved. I mean, you can't, to know them is to love them. I mean, it's yeah. crazy. And even from the first minute that I saw them, when I first went into the first, you know, to uh, my first meeting with them, they just have this energy that you just love them. And so I think that that's what comes across with, with the cast and with our work. And when we're on the set, I think that um, they it starts at the top, as they say, you know. And, yeah. and uh yeah, she does. But, yeah, of course, they do give us freedom to, you know, to really bring life to it. And yeah. if something's not working, then, we, yeah, we can try to say, okay, what can we do like this? But it's amazing. She's just an amazing writer, and her creative team, her writing team is crazy, man. They're crazy. And it, the, I hear – now, this is, the, <laughs> this is the only thing I can tell you all. I hear that the second season is going to be even more, like, Crazy, crazy and amazing. Like I, I see I'm Courtney's hearing. eyes lighting up from I can see outrageous. it. <laughs> I've been pulled to the side and said, Man, you know what I mean? If you like the first season, you I mean Oh, stepping in up. Oh so man. y'all shooting that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well that's the day. Yeah, hopefully we'll be shooting this soon. This yeah. summer? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Well, you've brought in so many stories to life throughout the years. What's a story that you think uh needs to be told on T V that hasn't yet? Or theater, stage, movie? Um, well, I mean, there's a lot of stories. I mean, I guess the thing that's that's interesting right now is uh, I just think how we've become uh, a cell phone world, you know, <laughs> and how your whole life is in your cell phone. That's very true. And uh, when somebody goes into your cell phone or whatever, <laughs> you know what I mean, or whatever, I mean, you're just like. It's like they're entering your house. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know and what I mean? your babies are in there. Yeah, and with these smartphones, it has just changed so much everything. All from all your photos in there, your numbers, your passwords, your life, you know, your credit card. It's just, I don't know how we can get that story out. And it's, I think it's hurting relationships. Mm-hmm. It's, it has all kind of, I mean, it's crazy. But you do know? you think we're too far gone in technology now to ever go back? You know, I mean, like, how do you, how do you take it away at this point when it's so advanced? You know, no, there's no going back. I don't think you know. There's no going back. It's just you just got to keep dealing with this whole thing. You know, and hope just... we don't turn to a world of Wally. You know yeah, <laughs> man, yeah, <laughs> man, yeah. It's wild, you know. And, and, yeah, you and it's so much. <laughs> exactly, and like our show. I mean, our show is such a Twitter-based show too. Yeah. I mean, oh yeah, just, you guys like, have we're huge Yeah, it's crazy, and yeah. we just trend number one in the world and all kind of stuff when we're on and. And that was that was something that wasn't around. Of course, when I was doing Law and Order or something like that. So, uh, yeah, I think that those stories. And I don't know what the new generation is, where they can, you know, tweet and, and talk. And uh, you know, I was even even as a dad, I was always I was watching. Yeah, as a dad, man. You know what I mean? You got you know they got the laptop in the room. And they can Skype with their boyfriends, you know. <laughs> and so, you know, you got this virtual kind of, you know, strip shows going yeah. on, too. You know what I right. mean? Yeah, relationships and strip. You know what I mean? You don't know yeah. what they're doing. They close the door. You know, and it's just like, okay, so I'm no going to no locks in your house. Yeah, exactly. You know, so. Are so, you a strict dad? Um, I don't, maybe. I don't well, know. Well, tell, tell it from him. <laughs> yeah, maybe I should ask the daughters. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know, man. I mean, you can't, you know, what can you do? Yeah, you got to just trust, you know, you got to trust, you you gotta trust, trust your kids. Yeah, just hope, you know, 
and, and try to be around. Yeah. Make sure you keep the boogeyman's out. And we're obviously celebrating Black History Month, and uh, there's been just a lot of coverage with 12 Years, 12 years a Slave, mm-hmm. uh, black films and, as a whole. Yeah. Um, you know, we've had this conversation in the studio. Do you think that this is going to allow more opportunities for black actors to get projects greenlit in Hollywood, or is this something that is, it's all hype now, and then we're going to kind of go back to the same old, same old? Um, wow. Um, I don't know. I think, I mean, I, I mean, telling, I think we've always gotten stories out. Yeah. I think what we're talking about is the high quality, uh, mainstream acceptance, widely distributed, award winning kind of, uh, stories. Distributed. Yeah, distributed. (laughs) That's right, because there's a lot of movies. I mean, you can hit, you know, you hit, uh, uh, Redbox on on Netflix and you realize there's a whole slew of movies that, you know, you go to the Pan African Mm -hmm. Film Festival or all these festivals. There's a lot of great stories that are being told that just can't get out. They just Mm -hmm. can't get out, you know, and, uh, uh, it's hard. To, it's even hard now to get into the film festivals that you used to be able to get into, like Sundance and things like that. The competition is so stiff, and most of those movies don't get picked up anymore. So, uh, that that's really the challenge. I think the challenge is always to um, to get the kind of backing uh, for the marketing and distribution of the projects, as opposed to getting the stories told. Yeah. You know, because now we have the means. You get a, a even with your cell phone. <laughs> like, like, that's like true. Cell phone. You can do everything you know, there. Yeah. Right. Yeah, on you your know, iPhone. You can make, yeah. Right. You know, you got iMovie, and so um, uh, I hope. I hope. I hope that there's going to be. I mean, I. I don't really want to. I don't actually want to live in a world where I'm negative, thinking that there's lack or scarcity and stuff. I believe we're telling our stories and that we're doing really, really well and. Um, and I think we're in an enviable position in a certain kind of way because uh, I think the Latin uh, or the Asian, you know, communities, I think their stories need to be told, too. Yeah. And, and they they also have to, you know, to uh, so um, have to, have to um, you know, have these kind of stories told, like, you know, 12 Years of Slave or things like that, you know. But I just, I just want to have more, um, I don't want to say positive, but and I grew up... Uh, in the 70s so I'm used to like the black exploitations I'm used to like yeah. the shaft you know like Richard Roundtree yeah. I mean I want to see strong men you know yeah. I want to see us with strong stories and I want us I want our characters to be able to make the choices that any strong uh, dominant culture would make you know so uh, uh, you know if, if I'm 12 years a slave you know I want to be kicking butt and taking numbers you know what I mean I want to be like <laughs> Oh, but you know, what I mean, <laughs> you know, even though that might not have happened, you know, but I like, I like the stories. Like I did a, I did a Frederick Douglass uh, for PBS um, last year or the year before, and called the Abolitionist. Yeah, mm-hmm. I and, and that story I really loved because I felt that it, it showed the struggle to actually eliminate slavery, and as a heroic journey, almost like the Avengers or whatever. I mean, these were like a small, you know, group of people who were actually trying to make change in an impossible situation in a world where. Slavery was not only uh, the norm, but it was an institution that was never going to change. And actually, and there was, you know, there was all kind of legislation for it to be eternal. Actually, you know, so and it, as it took a civil war to to change it. So um, I just like I like the stories that you know Nat Turner stories like that. Mm-hmm. You know, that actually um, I want to see those stories told out. What I would like to see more of is the stories that are empowering. To us, yeah. that make us, you know, don't to take us out of any kind of victim state because I don't know if we are victims anymore. I mean, you know, 
I mean, I think uh, President Obama has shown that, you know, we can do whatever. This is a different world. It's the 21st century, and I don't need to necessarily be reminded of anything, you know. That's Personally, true. you know, I just yeah. want to be, I want to be moving forward and, and, and trying to do it today because today is enough of a struggle for me. It's definitely yeah. enough. <laughs> yeah. enough. I got enough trying to figure out how to make it right now, you know. And you talk about, we've talked about how uh, you bring all of these stories to life. Mm. And uh, you released your R&B album, Smooth Love. Smooth Love. Yeah. Was that, why was that so important for you? Was that something that you want to, you know, you're telling everyone else's stories, you want to tell your own story, or why was that important for you to release an album? Uh, well, I, um, you know, I love music, and um, I love, uh, again, I'm, I guess I'm a throwback. I love the Teddy Pendergrass, mm-hmm. uh, the Barry White, you know, Marvin Gaye. So you like the baby-making music, is Yeah, what you're I definitely like, yeah, right. That's why you got Smooth Love. That's the title, you know. So, yeah, I like that, I like that persona, and um, I just wanted to be a part of it. I, you know, um, I, I just love music. And I, I'd fallen into contact with a, a lot of good producers, up-and-coming producers, who were giving me tracks. And uh, I was able to work with them, and I, was, I developed a songwriting style, and I wanted to put out, you know, just put out my music, and I realized I could, and so, you know, I did, you know. Is that <laughs> something that you want to keep consistent in your life? Yeah, definitely. And yeah, now, of course, now I'm trying to, um, I'm, now I'm posting, I got a YouTube channel, and so I'm starting to post, and I've actually uh, put out a few, like, really stripped-down performances where I'm just in the studio with just vocal, vocal and piano or something like that, just to be... Uh, to to cover those kind of great songs, you know, can't get enough of your love, or you know, uh, you and I, Stevie Wonder, or something like that. I just dropped uh, "Hero" from Enrique Iglesias as a as a kind of stripped down. And Wait, is that the Valentine's Day song that I heard you you've been sending out? Yeah, that is it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> wow. yeah, yeah. Exactly. So yeah, that was my Valentine. I just dropped out there. So that's kind of just more awareness. And so now now I got to go back to the drum board. I think of letting people know. Yeah, I love the music. I'm doing the music, and I'm putting together. Um, uh, a cover show kind of you know with a lot of Barry White and Marvin Gaye kind of stuff in there. Well, can we yeah. get a little, little quick taste. sample just to you know I know taste. we gave you a little water to warm up uh, the throat a little yeah, bit just, right, a, you know, just a little, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just a little you know little right, 10 right. seconds of the vocals <laughs> just hear a little bit of that just hear a little bit Black Hollywood Live Valentine yeah. alright exactly um, um, oh shit which one man I gotta run which one you wanna hear you know, I mean, I'm you pick hear what? that hero. Yeah, yeah, I know, yeah, 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 I want to hear that. Too. All right. I mean, it's Valentine's Day. I can be your hero, baby. I can take away the pain. I will stand by you forever. You can take my breath away. Yeah, like did that, you did it? you hear that sound? Uh, yeah, it went kind of dead. That, that yeah. sound, well, no, the sound was the, it was like eight hundred women that just <laughs> ran right. up to the studio because right. yeah, yeah. they heard your they voice. All right. They're yeah. outside screaming right now for you. Yeah. That's what happened. I said, yeah. That's what happened. <laughs> all right. With the uh, you know, we just talked about we have the show called The Beat here on Black Hollywood Live, and today we talked about the history of R and B and kind of where it, it started oh. and where it is today. And kind of, you know, hip-hop artists pretending, thinking that they might be R&B singers. <laughs> uh, what's your <laughs> opinion of the R&B music uh, today? The state of R&B. Uh, I'm, well, I'm, I'm kind of loving it. I don't know if it's getting a lot of airplay right now, mm-hmm. you know. That might be the only thing that's kind of hard. Who are actually. some of your favorite artists right now? Uh, well, uh, Charlie, Charlie Wilson. The Charlie's the man. Yeah, Charlie is the man. He's still riding it hard, you know. He and, is. Uh, he brought it back, actually. He really did. He yeah, exactly, yeah. He brought, yeah. brought it Charlie back. really brought it back. He and, uh, you know, of course, R. Kelly and, um, 
Yeah, Neo is great. I mean, there's a lot, you know, Usher. I mean, those guys are really doing it, yeah. You know, but on the, you know, on the old school, you would have to give it to Charlie, yeah. Or, you know, yeah, something like that. The Isley Brothers, you know, yeah. He's, definitely, yeah, he's crazy, yeah, he's amazing. Can we expect to hear your sounds on the Bean Mary Jane soundtrack or, or episode or anything? Because they got some great music. Because they got some great music. I mean, I'd be lucky, yeah, I'd be fortunate, yeah, if, if we could. Yeah, definitely. I love, I love the music that they're playing. It's incredible, yeah. And outside of being Mary Jane, where can fans see you next? Is there any other projects that you are working on that um, haven't been announced? No, just I've just been in the studio, yeah, just working on the music right now and trying to get ready for the second season. Uh, yeah, that's pretty much it right now. I mean, well, I got, yeah, a movie, uh, Miss Sophistication, that just came out uh, with Harry Lennox. And uh, that's about it, yeah. Waiting on a couple other projects to happen. And you've had such a long career. If you could use one word to kind of define your career, what would it be? Um, I don't want to say like survivor or whatever. That sounds like kind of crazy. But um, <laughs> um, just uh, um, one word to survive it, uh, to describe it. Let's see. Blessed, maybe fortunate. Blessed. Yeah, blessed, yeah. It's blessed, a good choice. Yeah. And then fans, if they want to check out your Instagram or Facebook or Twitter, what are your handles? Uh, Instagram and Twitter is RLB Soul. And Facebook is Richard Brooks. And I got Richard, Richard Lee Brooks' fan page, too, they can join. Yeah. Courtney? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Stuart Starlet. Jesse? At DJ Jesse J. You can find me at Daryl Kristen on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Thank you, Richard Brooks, for joining us today. Thank you. Be Thank sure you. to check out Being Mary Jane on BET. Unbelievable Ooh, show. There we nights. go. I and can be your hero, <laughs> baby. We get the outro. You can keep singing. We keep going with Check the outro. I can take love. away the pain. Uh, and Download I will that. stand by you forever. <laughs> you can take my breath away. <laughs> you hear that? I Happy think. Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day, everybody. Happy See you next week. Day. All right. <laughs> From producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, Dario Christian and the entire BHL staff, we would like to thank you for tuning in to the Black Hollywood Live Network. If you have questions or comments, tweet us at BHL Online or email us at info at blackhollywoodlive.com. For more exclusive content, visit blackhollywoodlive.com. This has been a presentation of the Black Hollywood Live Network. Hollywood, Hollywood redefined. redefined. The views expressed here are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of BHL or its owners or principals.